Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, we are in the Book of Romans still, and we are in chapter 11. Uh, We've been looking at this topic of, has God cast off his people? And this is the fourth uh, part of that, and I have just kept the same title, because really that's what Romans 11 deals with. It begins right in the very beginning with this question, has God cast off his people? And the answer is certainly not. And then Paul lays out this systematic argument in a logical format, in a legal format of how that it plays out. And we've looked at uh, the witnesses that he calls to the stand, okay? And we've looked at everything from Paul himself. He was converted. He was a Jew. Uh, You have the prophets, and he particularly uses the illustration of Elijah. Uh, He uses the Gentiles and the patriarchs. And then the prophecy of the Bible, or in the connection to this, Israel itself, okay? The promise of Israel and as a people. And we're coming to that tonight. Now, I say that because if you were to build your theology out of the newspaper or the news line, you would probably come up with some very, well, disturbing news, I guess, to say the least. And um, if you went on, and just this afternoon, I, I looked at the Jerusalem Post, and you won't read the headlines there, but I can read a few of them for you. From the Jerusalem Post, here are some of the headlines of, the, of today. Uh, Israel foils smuggling of explosives material into Gaza in medical crates. Uh, here's a report. Hamas believes war with Israel will break out in the coming days. Uh, Abbas spokesman rejects U.S. officials' comments. Okay, uh, Walking away from the table would be terrible for the Palestinians. And it goes right down through. Uh, further down, another page. Uh, that's the same page, sorry. <laughs> there we go. And then you have, uh, oh, there we go. Austria plans to dissolve fraternity and neo-Nazi scandal. There's a rise of that in, in Western Europe particularly. Uh, Jewish boy, eight, beaten in Paris suburb, an anti-Semitic attack. And then you go right down through uh, uh, different uh, headlines on anti-Semitism that are going on in the world. That's, you know, a hatred for the Jew. And I could go down and look at those, and that's just a few of the, the dozens and dozens of headlines that appear in the Jerusalem Post this, today. Certainly with a vested interest in Israel, because that's where it's published out of and what covers news dealing with Israel. But if you were to just formulate your theology on the headlines, whether they be today or you could look at almost any time, you would find that there is an animosity, a hatred, an anti-Semitism for the Jew. And definitely a lot of voices today saying there's no place for them. And, And in Christianity, many Christians have said, well, yes, God has cast off those people, and the promises of God have now gone to the church or to the Christians, and and they've kind of left that out. And I hope as we've gone through this, uh, my intention is when we study Scripture, always, you have to, one of the principles of hermeneutics, okay, that's the interpretation of Scripture, one of the principles is always look at who is being addressed, okay? So when you look at scripture, you say, what audience is listening to this, or in particular being written to? And you have to distinguish between the Jew, the Gentile, and the church, those three entities, okay? And Jews and Gentiles being separate groups of of people, ethnically even, and then also covenant given to Israel, not to the Gentiles. Uh, Originally, we do share the new covenant, but we have uh, the church being made up of saved Jews, saved Gentile, and spiritually there is no distinction. And Paul lays all that out several times in the book of Romans, and we've looked at it. And I know this is sort of a review, 
But if you don't do that, I'm just going to throw this out. If you do not um, distinguish between those three groupings of people, you come up with some very funny theology. And that's particularly it shows up a lot in the what you believe for the end times. Okay. And it shows up whether or not you believe that when Christ talks about a kingdom, it's a literal kingdom, or is it just a, an allegorical spiritual kingdom that is made up of you know people in in uh, that are going to heaven or that kind of thing. And there's a lot of um, a lot of things that happen. And I'm not throwing it. There are a lot of Christians that believe in those ways. But I really think if you make a distinguishing you know marker in your Bible and Jew, Gentile, and Church. You come up with, uh, I think, prophetic views especially, but doctrinal views that deal with these very clearly. And in the end, uh, hopefully you can come out and understanding why God has a promise to the Jew that he doesn't necessarily have to the Gentile. Why he's using the Gentiles right now and why there's something called the times of the Gentiles. And then, of course, the church of God, which was not uh, declared in the Old Testament. The church, as we know it, did not come into existence till Christ, well, the, the mystery of it, I guess you'd say, until Christ declares it to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, it's recorded for us, about building his church, okay? And he alludes to another group of people that will also be part of a sheepfold uh, and with one shepherd, uh, and, and we'll look at come up some of those verses here tonight. But particularly, he deals with Israel, deals with the church. Church later on would be addressed here in the New Testament. And uh, I say that just because you cannot apply all the blessings or curses to Israel and to the church. They, they don't work that. Or the covenants only given to Israel. We can certainly uh, be beneficiaries of some of that, but not all of it. Okay, And I think it's proper to, to distinguish between them. Anyways, enough said on that. Um, the question that's on the table is, does Israel have a future? And let's begin reading again tonight in verse 25, Romans 11. Paul writes here, For I... Do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, I'm just looking at those two verses primarily, and so I'm back there to verse 25, uh, but... This section of scripture really uh, is the part that I want to hone in on tonight a little bit and look at it. And uh, before we even do that, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we are just grateful we have the word of God. Help us to interpret it correctly and do so in humility, looking to you for wisdom, not just to man's opinions and our own opinions. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just teach us as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we have to look at is what does the term Israel refer to? Because, again, is it a term that is a literal term, like a people group of Jews in particular, or a, a geographic region, or is it dealing with um, a spiritual group of people that fall under the blessings of Israel? And that's where I was talking about these different uh, things. When we come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, you have Israel in focus, okay? And Paul shifts from 
the first part of the book of Romans into this second part where he goes and he's beginning and he talks about Israel. And that's why I say when you look in the commentaries and stuff, there's sometimes not much written on these three chapters. And many people, I was surprised that as I looked through them that, that people go over a lot. And I have some really good commentaries that cover this. But I say that because a lot of times people really don't know what to do with Israel. They don't really know what we should do. We should even include it here in the New Testament, all right? After all, uh, the Jew uh, in, as a nation and, and as a people group, the majority rejected Christ, okay? Rejected their Messiah. And unfortunately, I really think comes out of a root of anti-Semitism, and which back up to a hatred that Satan has, because uh, he knows out of the Jewish people, all the nations of the earth would be blessed in Christ. And if he can somehow thwart that in efforts to even delay it, all right? Now, he can't. I mean, you cannot, even Satan himself cannot move the hand of God apart from God willing to do anything, okay? And I just say that because uh, uh, people have to have to consider that in, in this. And it, it has risen in the church, and it shows up in doctrine sometimes, or it shows up in our just our silence, our silence. Well, I will say this, that Israel here... Um, refers not uh, in, in, and some would say excuse me that Israel here refers not to the Jewish people or the nation of Israel but to the redeemed children of this age okay but when you come to this section and Paul makes a I think a clear distinction between that he does use the term Gentile he uses the term Israel and earlier he addresses uh, believers okay so you have that those groups and as I said there's People would refer to it in specific terms as spiritual Israel or ethnic Israel, okay? Those that by blood are Jews or those that by faith have entered into the Jewish faith uh, or into the Christian faith, which rises out of Judaism. And those are the distinctions people make. And it's not necessarily, I don't think you have to be that complicated. There are two different groups, okay? Two different groups of people. And within Israel, there is the those who are what we call, as Paul writes here, Israel who... Uh, are Jews of faith, okay? And he refers to that back, what is it, uh, Romans 4, the stock of Abraham who, who were by faith trusting the same God. And they are true Jews, as he puts it, or describes it there in that way. It's not exact wording, but he talks about that. And to look at this, you have to kind of, uh, and it's just, I get this from Charles Hodge, uh, who wrote a, an extensive commentary on Romans. And he talks about... Um, these two main options and he often uh, offers eight reasons why the second option in other words ethnic Israel the nation itself is in focus here in Romans uh, chapter 11 and I want to look at these just briefly Uh, number one he says this the context favors the reference to the Jewish people as a whole okay Um, that somehow all of Israel will be saved some someday yet future not now but future okay so there seems to be, and Romans 11 teaches of a future conversion. By the way, that is in keeping with what the Old Testament lays out. When you look at, and we'll look at this probably next week in a part five, uh, or it would be, excuse me, the week after that, because next week we have a business meeting. Um, but we'll look at that, that they're like Ezekiel 37 and the, the dry bones and the valley of dry bones. Remember in the... the uh, flesh that is put on these dry bones and there's life breathed into them that's a picture of a spiritual revival of a believing israel and it comes at a time uh, preceding the lord's return okay and the millennial kingdom is in and and shortly thereafter in that 
And, and I say that because there will be a revival of sort that is further described in the book of Ezekiel and also in Isaiah and the other prophets. And we'll look at some of those references maybe next week a little more. Um, and there is a time where that's going to happen. It also speaks of a temporary hardening of Israel in this present age so that the Gentiles may be saved. And that was, what, a couple weeks ago we looked at that message that the, because of the rejection of Israel, God has uh, allowed them, their hearts have become hard and blinded, and the gospel has gone to the Gentiles to provoke them to envy or jealousy to consider Christ. And again, we've already laid this down that there were many Jews saved, and the first people baptized on the day of Pentecost, right, 3,000 of them on that day, they were Jews. And so not all of Israel was cast off, nor will they ever be cast off fully. They will actually go the other way someday believing, and as a nation once again be a lighthouse as they should be. Paul, secondly, Paul argues that the Jews will be restored in the same sense that they were rejected. And in verse 15 of Romans 11, he talks about this. He says, For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now back that up, and again, Paul was talking about his own countrymen, the Jew. And he's in that context saying they, when they rejected, just as they've rejected Christ, someday they will be restored to Christ, like a resurrection experience, Ezekiel 37, right? They will have that um, experience. And as I look at that, it's, that's a yet future event, according to when Paul wrote Romans anyways, and I believe it's still future. It has not happened yet. The national rejection in the past and the present will give way to national acceptance of Jesus in the future. And that is what will happen. According to the book of Zechariah, they will look on him whom they pierced. And they will do so in faith. And, and we'll look at that section maybe tonight as well. Third thing Hodge says, he says, Paul anticipates a vast event of all of Israel being saved. That's verse 26. He says, and so all Israel will be saved. All Israel. So why would Paul put that word in, all? Well, because first of all, that's the Holy Spirit making sure he penned that word exactly that way, that phrase that is used. And that is future. Those going into the kingdom at the end of the tribulation period, and this is the prophetic timeline as you find that, will be all believing Jews at that point, and also those among Gentiles who also believe. Many will die and perish and during those days too. But at the end, when Christ puts down the nations that come up against Israel uh, at Armageddon, at the final culmination of a series of battles, Armageddon, uh, after that, all those that are, remain are alive are believers. All those that were against God are gone and their blood runs so deep that the horse's bridle it describes as john tries to describe it in that valley of megiddo that the horse's bridle will be that that's how many how much blood will run in there and i don't know exactly but that's what john's seeing you know you say could that happen something so hideous and so terrible i just say that that's what the bible declares and Certainly we look at a world today that's lining up against Israel and are just ripe to eventually invade. And you say, where would you get that much blood or whatever? And maybe it's mingled with water or something. I just say this, 
You know what? When you're looking at the standing armies of the world today and you look at the hundreds of millions that can, it can mobilize today if they had a cause to do so, uh, and I, I mean hundreds of millions when you count places like China and you count other great nations like India and you count nations like Russia and even some of the, the other parts of the world that and some of those areas are specifically mentioned in prophecy, okay? the groupings that are there and from the south also down you know when you look at uh, some parts of africa and others that will be mentioned in scripture and have looked at that and this, this is not necessarily a, a bible study on prophecy but i would just say that isn't too far imaginable that you could have lots of of people gathering against israel in if they could just organize it and there will be somebody who will try to organize it his name is antichrist and he will gather and be able to do that when no one else has thus far. All right, not in that way. Uh, Paul anticipates a, an, a, a future event. And when he says, will be saved, he's saying that's future. All right. And that's why I think when Paul is writing here at the book of Romans, he did not take the view that the church was spiritual Israel. All right. I, I think contrary to that, he talks about Israel, he talks about the Gentiles, and that's the same language that is used in the Old Testament also. Fourthly, when Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, okay, he uses a phrase to introduce a truth that had not been previously known, and the word um, that he uses there when he talks about, I, I, I would, do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, and the Greek word mystery is mysterion. I mean, that's where we get our word mystery. It comes right out of the Greek. And it means something that has not been previously revealed has now been unveiled. Okay? That's a little wordy way of saying it. But it's, it's basically in keeping with the way we do it. Although sometimes we talk about it more like a secret thing. You know, I know something you don't know. That's not what Paul's really talking about here, that we have hidden knowledge. He's saying, up to this point, this has not been revealed. And I'm going to tell you a mystery. I'm going to tell you something that is declaring the truth of God. And again, God is unfolding his truth through the pen of Paul. And we get to read it now almost 2,000 years on and, and look at this. And it's important to understand that when Paul talks about that, the earliest Christian church was almost entirely Jewish. And for about the first 10 years of church history, it was pretty much Jewish. And then you have the conversion of Cornelius, okay? And you have Acts uh, 10 there where you have uh, Peter going out. And you have him focusing on, well, in that case, the Gentile there. And then Paul coming up, Acts 13, in his missionary journeys to the, to the Gentiles. But for the, about the first decade, the focus was mostly on the Jewish people. And the church was building in that time frame with that. And yet... Paul talks about a future event when all Jews would believe. And again, that's uh, verses 26 there that we looked at earlier on that. Um, and by the way, this passage reveals a coming conversion to the Jewish people that has no parallel in Christian history. And, and you can look back at all history you know, that we have and fairly good records from the first century on, and you will not find a time where Israel has entirely converted. And contrary to that, you'll find a time where Again, the majority of the Jew was is, is rejected, and then he was scattered further in 70 A.D., and only in the last 70 years has he had a homeland uh, in, in that. 
Fifthly, Paul even calls this truth of Israel's future conversion a mystery. And I mentioned that already. And that simply is something that um, is no longer a secret. It's no longer needing to be, uh, you know, lack understanding. And I think it's important to have these conversations and this, this uh, uh, teaching so that believers, you know, aren't ignorant. And it doesn't mean it in a negative, like, oh, you're dummy. You know, he's saying there's just things we should be looking at because there's no need to remain hidden in a mystery, right? Or hidden behind the mystery, right? Knowing we actually have the knowledge of these things now, and they're written to us and given to us, and you can study them. So I think that's important. And the mystery is very simple. It's all Israel be saved, and it's at the second coming of Christ uh, when he returns to earth. And that had not been previously revealed in when Paul's writing here on that. Uh Sixth, Hodge says this, the term all Israel can't refer only to spiritual Israel. And he says because in verse 25, he clearly distinguishes between unbelieving Israel and the Gentiles and uh, who are coming to Christ in this age. Okay, And that's what he says. He says, lest you should be wise in your own opinions that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. There's two groups of people mentioned there, very clear. I think so. And when someone wants to dispute that, it's not a verse they turn to, okay? But I think this is clear. There are two different groups of people. And um, Thomas Constable, in his Romans notes, explains it this way. He says, When all Gentiles from whom God has chosen for salvation during this, uh, the present age of Israel's rejection have experienced salvation, God will precipitate a revival of faith within Israel. And that's the, the, the simplest way you can put it is at this very moment in God's timing, okay, he has primarily visiting the Gentiles with the knowledge of the truth. And as the Gentiles are brought in to that relationship in the church, just like believing Jews are, were brought in, eventually there'll be a time where that ends, okay? And not only the church age, but a time called the fullness of the Gentiles, all right? That's a term from the Bible in the Old Testament and when in the New Testament also when that comes. And that's the important part of this is this, that God has, and this is number seven on Hodges points, that God has set a time limit. Okay. And it's found there uh, where he says until, okay, back up to verse 26 there, Sam, I can't see it, but I think it's here. Nope. That's verse 15. Was I there? Oh, I was there. No, verse 25. Okay, go back to where I was there, Sam, if you don't mind. There we go. Yeah, there we go. That's what I was looking for. Uh, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So the word until just means that there's a time element to this. And there's, there's going to be a, just very much a point in God's timing and His plan where this is going to stop as far as the fullness of the Gentiles. And the idea is a filling up of a cup. So think of it this way, I guess in logical terms, is there are certain activities that will take place in this world, and then God will, his, his, not that God changes and things, but his interaction with man happens. We use the word dispensation uh, to describe that. Right now, I believe we are in the church age, the church dispensation, and in, think of Israel as God's timepiece, his clock, and as some have put it, 
when uh, Israel rejected Christ as Messiah, Acts chapter 2 comes along, and the people believe and are added to the church. The Holy Spirit is given. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been. He's God, the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, he's interacting differently with man than he had previous to that. Previous to that, the Spirit of God could come and a person could be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He could have the Spirit of God reside on him, uh, empower him, uh, still illuminate all those different parts of his ministry. But he did not reside within, all right, necessarily. He was not obliged to, I should say, I guess. But because of the righteousness of Christ, which is now granted in this dispensation, and Acts chapter 2 is the giving of the Holy Spirit, very important, because believers were baptized by the Spirit of God, and he became sealed on them, or in them, or however you want to term that. It doesn't limit God, he's not locked up in me, okay, or that, that's pantheism, what people believe it, but he, he's, he resides with us. And now I can grieve the Spirit of God, I can quench the Spirit of God, but I can't remove him, all right? I really can't pray the prayer of David where he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, because he won't be taken from me. That's different. We're in a different dispensation. And again, the nature of God hasn't changed, but his interaction with man has. There's coming a day when the last member of the church will be saved. Okay? Last, that sounds like there's unsaved church members. That's not what I meant. But the last member of the, uh, that will be added to the church is saved. And I remember Ed Seeley explaining that when I was in Bible school and he was teaching through the New Testament. Ed's an, an evangelist, you know. And, and by the way, he's, Lord willing, going to be with us this summer again. And, uh, uh, you know, Ed's a simple guy that way. And I, I, but I remember his illustrations. And he said, one of these days, you know, God's building his house, spiritual house, right? That's what he likens it to. And, you know, some are the foundations like the apostles and then the early church. And, and you know, somewhere along the line where, you know, maybe some of the shingles or, you know, this, whatever part we fit, you know, in God's history of things. And he says, someday the last shingle on the peak of the roof is going to be laid, you know. And that last sinner will come to Christ in the church age. And as you think of that spiritual house and all of a sudden, wham! rapture you know that's it i mean he would just get you excited about it and you think someday and he says you think about that you you could be sitting with somebody and you say hey you know would would you would you come to christ today you know invite them to christ maybe would you pray with me or can i show you from the scriptures and and when that person comes to that that last person comes to the knowledge of christ and trusts him you know i believe that at that very moment According to what the scripture says, is that there will be a great translation, a rapture. And that's uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, also, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Resurrection from the dead, for those dead, but also those which are alive and remain. And all those things. And he said, well, that's a little bit too far-fetched for me and all that. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe that's going to happen. But I think take it literal. You know, Paul says it. It has not happened yet. And at that moment, the church ends as far as additions to it. The church doesn't cease to exist because we are the bride of Christ eternally. But at that very moment, that institutes the clock again. starts to tick. And you have Israel in focus. And you have in the book of Revelation, also Daniel talking about one week that's not fulfilled yet. One week of sevens. Seven years of tribulation. I think the Bible's clear on that. There are literal years. And during that time, there will be people, the majority reject 
According to Second um, Thessalonians, it even talks about those that have you know, rejected and they will, for this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. During that time, it's going to be harder to believe if you have sat under the hearing of the gospel and rejected it. Because um, God says he'll send strong delusion that you believe a lie. But there'll be many that have never heard. And where the church leaves off in the missionary efforts, guess what? Israel picks up. Because again, in the book of Revelation, it says there were 12,000 actually Jewish men, describes them. They are men that have not known a woman. It means that they're not, they're not bound by family. They're not you know, tied up with all the things that take up our affairs, which are good things. But they, you know, and they're, not, they're singular in heart in that way, these men. And they are sealed supernaturally from God. And there's 144,000 of them, 12,000 each out of 12 of the tribes. And they will pick up where the church left off. And the Bible says Antichrist will not be able to harm them, even though he wants to. They'll be able to go and, you know, think of our political, geopolitical world today. And there are places you just can't walk in today and say, I'm here to tell you the gospel without probably lopping your head off, you know, in the process or having it done. And yet they'll be able to go in those kind of places. Walk right in. Preach the gospel. People will still reject, but many will be saved. So much so the harvest will be truly great. And I believe Matthew chapter 25, uh, 24 there talks about that. And when Jesus is referring to that, he's referring to those times, an end time harvest, to the Jew primarily. There'll be many, many Jews that believe. There'll be many that suffer and die. And there'll be martyrs during that time. Their blood will cry out for justice, all that. But yet, God, if, for those that will survive through that time, these are not the church, all right? These are believers, though, saved by faith the same way. But they are referred to as friends of the bridegroom, like the Old Testament saints are referred to. Not the bride, but friends of the bridegroom. And they'll have an eternal relationship with Christ, but not the same as the church. Um, I know I'm on rabbit trails here. I know, but listen, it's exciting. Because God's, until, he says, until, all right? There's a time limit to all of this. There's a day when it's going to stop. Now, it's going to get worse for a while, but you know what? I don't expect to be here. If I... If I am, it's not going to change my faith in Christ. <laughs> but I will say this, that uh, I believe what the scripture lays out, and I rest, uh, rest my, my eternity on that entirely. Wow. Luke chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus talks about this. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive unto all nations. Now, there was a short-term prophecy associated with this in 70 A.D. That's exactly what would happen to those in Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, remember? And, and he, he said, they'll come and lay you to waste. They'll kill your little ones. And they did in 70 A.D. The Romans had that done to the, to the Jew. But there's a future event that has not happened yet. And the Old Testament prophets also foresaw this that is still where Israel will suffer greatly. And they will have, uh, and it says, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now that's, that's the little bit further that we, in 70 AD, the church was just starting. The gospel was just starting to go out to the Gentiles. And over the last 2,000 years, the gospel certainly has gone out to the nations. It's not done yet. There's more missionary activity going on now than ever before, believe it or not. You say, well, I don't know about it's happening out of North America. Well, God doesn't limit it to us, and that's a good thing. 
But there's a lot of people living in our world today and lots of that missionary activity, lots of people getting saved. And there are, for now, Gentile rulers who are controlling it all as far as the, the political and geopolitical environment that we live in. It's not Jerusalem. It's not a king sitting in Jerusalem, for instance, all that. Um, the fullness of the Gentiles is not filled yet or come. The cup is not filled up. John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, and, I, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. He's referring to Israel there. And he's referring to another sheep. Them also I must bring. See, it was always God's plan to include everybody. I love that. You know, we often think, well, if they hadn't rejected Christ, then they wouldn't, the gospel wouldn't have come to us. Well, no, that's not true. Jesus always wanted, and all the way back from the very beginning, Joshua 4.24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. That, that's what he told his people, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. See, God's a missionary God, and he's always been that way. Since the fall in sin... He's had that before that. He had the plan, right? Jesus, who was the Christ, who was slain before the foundations of the earth. And he says, and they will hear my voice and they will be one flock and one shepherd. It's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the church. And he's talking about that call that will go out, save Jew, save Gentile, one flock. Hmm. Romans eleven twelve. Previous to this in this section. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. And I, I put it this way again, you see Paul making the distinguishing characteristics here between Jew and Gentile. Jew rejecting, Gentile receiving, you know, those things. There's two different groups of people that are in mind there. And lastly, uh, these verses, Hodges puts this in his stuff, point eight, he says these following verses require this interpretation. In other words, that God is not done with the Jew and he's still got a great future for them and a plan. In Isaiah 59, 20, the Redeemer will come to Zion. The Redeemer there is talking about Christ. He's our Redeemer, isn't he? And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, that's Israel, says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord Jehovah, all right? The Redeemer will come to Zion. That is a 650, 700 years, whatever, uh, in the future from the time that was written is when Redeemer would come first time. But he's coming again. And in Isaiah, you see that over and over again, a reference to his first coming, like when he would come, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. But then you turn right around in a few chapters away from that and you have the conquering king. And that's why it was so confusing for many Jews who already had their eyes spiritually blinded because of rejection and they couldn't understand how a suffering Messiah could be their saving king. But that saving, suffering Messiah is coming again. He's conquering. He's not coming again in the humility of the cross. Oh, the marks of his suffering will bear for eternity. But he's coming as the conquering king. And that's future yet. 
Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord from this time and forevermore. And he's not referring to his own time because the Jews were rejecting. That's why Isaiah was prophesying and declaring God's word. He's talking about a future time when the Jews will believe. And generation after generation after generation will, will be raised up. You say, when is that going to happen if it hasn't happened? It's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. When believing Israel will be a lighthouse to the world, the fullness of the knowledge of God will permeate the earth. He, the Lord, will rule with a rod of iron. It means there won't be open sin. doesn't mean people won't be able to sin in their hearts. They certainly will. Uh, because there's a following at the end of that <laughs> that they reject him. But I, I say that. God is going to, he has a plan, and it includes the Jews from this time, referring to that from and forevermore. Isaiah 27, 9. Therefore by this the iniquity of Jacob will be covered, and this is all the fruit of, and this is, yeah, all the fruit of taking away his sin, when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. That has not happened either. Um, as Israel has, throughout the centuries, practiced idolatry in some form or another. But there's coming a day when they won't have any more idols. They'll be torn down, be piles of chalk. All right? And that's, that's really a future time. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 to 12. And I, I end in this section of Zechariah here. There's a couple sections. But I, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadab, Rimon, and Rimon on the plains of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the wives of themselves. And you, you see there'll be this turning back to the Lord, and it's a repentance kind of mourning. Also, no doubt, for the loss that the centuries have produced because of rejection. Chapter 13 of Zechariah. In that day, and I love this, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Oh, thank you, Lord. You haven't left Israel to just sit in its sin. Concerning the gospel, this is Romans 11 here. Back to that, because Paul ends with this in this section. We didn't read it initially, but he connects the previous two verses with this. He says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. You know what he's saying to Christians? He says, those who have rejected me, they really are your enemy, you know, in the, in the sense that they were, they were suffering persecution under the hand of religious leaders and others. But he says they're elect still. That means they're still chosen in God. 
And they have a, a place in his plan. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You know what that tells me? Is that it doesn't matter how bad you mess it up, or the, in this case specifically Israel messes it up, God is still faithful. And everything he gives us, and I'm going to stretch this to include the church here, because he gives us grace, and he gives us salvation, and he first gave it to the Jew, but he gives it to us, and you know what? It's irrevocable. Because of him. Because he abides faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the word of God tonight and thankful for the promises that are given in this book. Promises to the nation of Israel, the people of God, but also the the church. And Lord, for all those throughout the years, both past and present and future, who will believe and trust in you. And Lord, how you have a plan for each and every one. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you abide faithful no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.